I remember I started to, to walk as I could see the place. It was literally like two blocks down. And I remember Brent saying, take my car. And I'm like, I can walk. He's like, no, here are my keys, take my car. You're not walking. Because the protest is going on downtown. Then we're just standing there talking. All of a sudden we heard a bunch of pop. And Chris and I looked at each other and we're like, firecrackers? And then we heard them again, and it's like, nope. So him and I start running towards El Centro, and which was towards the gunfire. We start running, and then uh, we make it across the tracks, and I make it, I don't know, maybe a half a block. Felt a, uh, a pop in my arm. Felt like somebody had frogged my arm. And um, I remember I couldn't lift up my arm. It was just kind of hanging there. So I knew something was wrong. And I remember looking up, I felt like, even though that one light was there, I felt like I was in the middle of a baseball field or a football field when it's all lit up. And I remember like shaking my head and I'm like, no, I'm not going, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not going. Obviously they could see my arm. Like when I walked in, I think I surprised everybody because I literally walked in the hospital. There's a narcotics detective. She walked into the ER room where you were, and she remembers them taking off your dark shirt, and then she sees Wonder Woman on your vest. And she said, at that moment, she realized, this, is a, this lady's a beast, she's gonna be fine. You're listening to the ATO Bridging the Divide podcast, brought to you by the Assisi Officer Foundation. Since 1999, the ATO has given assistance to the first responder community, and now we want to give a platform to hear their incredible stories. We also want to hear the stories of the many people that support us. Our community is small, but it is strong. We have differences. We don't always agree, and we all make mistakes. But together we can grow, we can heal, and we can learn from those mistakes. And together we can bridge the divide. It is my pleasure and great honor to welcome our next guest to today's Vision the Divide podcast. She spent almost 10 years with DART Police. Currently she's with Garland ISD. She is mother to three very small dogs <laughs> an incredible mother to a sweet daughter to hunter <laughs> yeah to a human being to a daughter <laughs> and volleyball mom it's my great honor to welcome on misty mcbride misty thanks for coming on thanks for having me Missy, I've been nervous all week about to talk with you. Uh, I've never met you before today. I've low-keyed stalked your story through social media and the Facebook for years. Um, we all know the incident that you were a part of, but that incident doesn't define you as a person uh, or as a professional. And that's what I want to hear more of that story today. Okay. But I have a very personal question uh, for you, and I've been kind of nervous about asking it all night. I probably I didn't sleep last last night because of this. It's probably best you don't ask. No, no, I no, I, I've I've cleaned it up. Okay, I've cleaned it up. Um, you made it radio safe. Well, we we can edit. We may have to do a lot of bleeping. Um, so I know you're a Wonder Woman fan. I am. Okay. Actually, I have Wonder Woman um, on my vest. I've seen that picture when I was Facebook stalking you. I, was, I saw that. So this is the personal question. Uh-huh. Why do you have that look? Okay. <laughs> Are you ready? And if it offend, it, listen, if it offends you, just please tell me and we'll edit it out. And, you know, Danny Canetti does our sound. He will take this out <laughs> and it, you, it's like I didn't even ask it. Taking off the... The no, hair, I'm hair getting, tie. I'm getting, re- I'm getting reset here. <laughs> oh, the hair's coming down. Yeah, this, nice. this is like a right. This is like a, I know, like a two-minute intro to a question. I'm getting kind of scared now. All right, we're ready. <laughs> Let's go. Linda Carter, 
or Gal Gadot. Oh. I would I would say Linda. Hmm. Um, I've I've met her. Wow. Okay. I was actually invited to uh, go see her in concert, and met her, and uh, hung out with her. So that was that was really cool. But I mean, she's the original. That's who I grew up with. Who I grew up with her too. I know. But, but you've seen the new movies, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I'm yeah. Not, you know, she's a badass. I mean, yeah. you know, she's a badass. But it's it's an original. I like the original. Added to. I just had to ask you that. I've, yes. I've I've had a lot of restless nights thinking about who you were going to say. I kind of thought you were going to say you, Linda Carter. You 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 don't sleep over not knowing who I'm going to pick. No, I was thinking about Gal Gadot. <laughs> I couldn't oh. sleep for that, but. <laughs> you, All right. grew up, you grew up watching the chips, right? Yes. Yeah, she's an avid chips oh fan. Oh my gosh, that's that's. <laughs> oh yes. I have to ask them: the blonde or the brunette? Oh. oh, it's tough. It is. It is. Uh, brunette. Why? Because. Oh, okay. It's, you know, it's it's kind of one of Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Unknown rules. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So we broke the ice with Wonder Woman talk and Chips talk. <laughs> Other than Chips, why did you decide to get into law enforcement? I know it's like the. The common thing you always want to help people but i do i want to help and i want to try to make a difference um you know there's there's a lot of i grew up, well we grew up in a different era and everything's different but just you know wanting to help people and try to make a difference and you know going home after that shift and if you made a difference in one person then that means a lot and then you know seeing being on dart you saw a lot of kids is on the trains and stuff. So when you see a little kid and they run up to you and they hug you and want a picture and a sticker and that, you know, it gives you that little, uh, that good feeling that you actually did something. Or if you help somebody that, you know, doesn't have a job and you got them food for that day or um, helped them get a job or a lead or something, then, you know, it's, they come back and tell you, hey, Miss McBride, this is what I did. Then, you know, it's just, it's that warm, fuzzy feeling you get. How old were you when you started law enforcement? Uh, 33. I was in the academy at 33. What drew you to, uh, to DART? Was that the only uh, department you applied for when you first got in? Well, um, I, was, I worked at Dallas County Jail, so okay. I got to see people coming in a lot, and the DART headquarters was right next door. Okay. So I went in and applied over there. Um, I did apply at Dallas. Okay. Um, I could not, back then, um, I got disqualified because I couldn't do a push-up because if nobody else can see me, but if you look at me and I do a push-up, then, you know, my chest is obviously going to hit the ground, and so I got disqualified for that. I have been keeping my eyes up, so I have not noticed. I don't know anything you're talking about. You don't know what I'm talking about. I know. I I have not read what your shirt says. (laughs) Your shirt says... Never underestimate a woman defender. And I'm glad you wore that today. I mean, it embodies who you are. Okay. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into more of your story um, of why I believe that. What was your favorite part of working for DART? And then just to help in the people. And, and when you're working for DART, you have a variety of people. There's just a hodgepodge of different kind of people, age groups, demographics that are, com- that are coming through there. Yes. Right in the heart of downtown. I think real quick before we do that, can you go ahead and describe what DART is? You know, we have a lot of listeners from different yes. areas, and they're probably they're hearing DART, and they have no clue as to what we're talking about. It'd probably clear up a lot before you go into DART. Yeah, because he's right, because we there's we just found, we found out recently that we actually have yeah. listeners out of the state and actually out of the country listening, downloading us, and they're not going to understand really what DART is uh, and, and as, a, as, a, as a department. So would you, yeah. Yeah. Thank, thank you, Josh. And it probably would clear up a bunch of people actually live in Dallas who still don't know what DART is. It's good, yeah. <laughs> um, it's actually Dallas Area Rapid Transit, and um, they handle all the trains, all the buses from um, all over Dallas. Uh, they go all the way up to Carrollton now, down to South Dallas to Buckner, to the airport, to Lovefield and DFW now all the way to downtown Rowlett, up to Plano. And it's um, 
and then anywhere any of the buses go on any of the side streets. And so uh, the officers cover the buses, the trains, um, basically like, because with the city department, you go to a house if you have a disturbance. Dart, you go to the bus, the train, that train station, that bus stop that's in the middle of nowhere, and handle whatever the call is. And there's a variety of calls. I've, I've, when I was out uh, working uh, in South Dallas, we had to cover Dart quite a bit because fights, people fighting on 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 the uh, the the train, the buses, and the uh, mm-hmm. the train, and have to go up and break that up. And there's also a lot of uh, drug running that goes on. People use the uh, the Dart buses and uh, trains to transport dope around because a lot of our introduction guys they uh, they deal with that. Yeah, plus it's a quick escape. You know, there's a lot of yep. people that commit some violent crimes. That's the first thing they see is the dark bus. They come down the road there, and they're probably a uh, user of the dark bus and the transit. So it's real quick for them to hop on that and leave. And I think most people need to understand your jurisdiction as a dark officer rolls in many different areas, right? So you're working with many different police departments. Uh, I'm assuming that if you guys had a burglary in one of the parking lots up there, like in Plano, the one off the toll road, mm-hmm. you guys are the ones that manage all that type of stuff up there for the vehicles, or is it just the property, or is it just the transit itself? It's it's the officers handle that, and a lot of times if we are um, like further south and we can't get up there, we would call Plano or Richardson, call Dallas, whoever to go up there and help to. Uh, you know, help, hey, can we get somebody on this call? Somebody, some, have somebody's car or fight or, um, you know, somebody got their bike stolen. So mm-hmm. we worked really well with all the departments. And then, like, I remember sometimes somebody would commit a crime in Dallas, and then, yep, there's the bus. They run and jump on the bus. Well, they get the bus number, so we call, you know, we go in the corner of the bus, and I guess <clears> people <throat> don't understand the bus is going to stop. So once they stop, and then you have all the DART and Dallas officers standing around, I guess, you would think they'd figure out, well, we shouldn't do this, but, or they would jump on a train and try to make it up to North Dallas. Well, we have officers up in North Dallas or South Dallas, right. wherever they went, waiting on them, and they come off. We're like, come with us. They don't realize <laughs> that they think there's a straight shot to Mexico and they're going to be free. It's, it's going to be nonstop <laughs> shuttle. Yeah. They think we don't talk to each other, so. No, we don't have radios. <laughs> yeah. We no. well, how would we? No. Nothing. Yeah, we have to get online and, and uh, in AOL Messenger somebody down south to come get them. Yeah, or hope you have a working radio. <laughs> yeah, well, that's another issue altogether. I did. Y'all went to Glocks. Y'all had Glocks for the longest time before our department went to Glocks. Because I remember covering some uh, some dart officers in South Dallas, and and I was uh, I was jealous they had Glocks and we didn't we couldn't have them yet. Oh, you should be glad you didn't. No. <laughs> I mean, I'm not, I'm, our SIGs are pretty nice, too, though. Yeah. Um, other than the people, what was your favorite part of working there? And what are some of the craziest things you've seen? And we're going to get into one oh. crazy thing, but um, prior to that. the Working with the officers, that was, that was a big thing. That, that really hurt when I left. Because um, you get to know people. I mean, you have people in, and I'm sure it's the same way here, you know, at Dallas. Um, you have uh, people are in people's weddings. You know, kids grow up together. Kids do sports together and camps. And, you know, whenever there's a function or something's at somebody's house, or, you know, all the guys would do fantasy football. So you had all the kids, and they would go on hunting trips, or, you know, they'd go out. So it was it was like a big family. So, I mean, I love that part, and then, you know, just helping the people because it's what I wanted to do. Right. Do you have something that sticks in your, your mind that you remember an incident? Not the incident we're going to talk about here, but, like, something that sticks in your mind besides that, doing police work, or even as a jailer at DSO? There's always something crazy going on at DSO. What sticks in your mind? Um, oh my gosh, uh, I mean, at, at the jail, the, um, the, the people there, they were, they were pretty calm, but every once in a while somebody would get mad because there was, you know, 
they didn't get enough potato salad or something. So potato salad. Yes, I, I mean, would it's, too. Uh, you know, I mean, I mean, it's, it's me yeah, it's it's a it's a good you know jail potatoes. I mean, it was something so simple like that. And then next thing I know, because I'm the one who was standing there when they got their tray, um, you know, I've got somebody throwing a cup of urine on me or something or. Uh cussing me out and telling me they're going to wait for me outside. And I'm like, I'll be back in eight hours. Don't worry. You're like, well, um, I'm not bringing potato salad outside with me. I'm so not, you're still going to be pissed you're, off. Yeah, you're still going to be pissed because you're not getting anything. Right. Um, that was kind of the tedious stuff. But, I mean, you know, on the streets, there was um, just, you know, seeing, I guess, what people are doing, like, you know, huge drug, yeah. especially downtown, tons of drugs. And just seeing people do stuff. And in my mind, I'm like, why are you going to do that? Because you're fixing to, you're going to get high, you're going to pass out. The person that sold that to you is fixing to steal all your stuff. And then you're going to get up, you're going to have no drugs, you're going to be hungover, and all your stuff's gone. I don't think they think that <laughs> far ahead whenever they're, <laughs> they're sticking that needle in their arm or snorting or whatever, sadly. Uh -huh. Yeah, it's, that's, you know, it's, it's like, and then they get to go back and they do it again. Because they oh, yeah. beg, they, well, they get that dollar, and they go get that next hit. And I'm yeah. like, okay, I'll see you in 20 minutes again. Well, that's the uh, the endless will of drug addiction. And we've all seen it. Uh, <clears throat> all of us in this room have, we've done police work. And that's we, we're working in Dallas, that's probably one of the biggest problems of Dallas is drugs. Uh, Dallas is a big hub. That's right north of Mexico. There, a lot of the drugs come straight from Mexico to Dallas. Then it goes out to Chicago, Atlanta, and they're all across the country. And um, and the the dark rail and the dark buses are they're a big courier for for uh, the narcotics. Oh yeah, yeah. It's um, you get, I guess because you see it every day, you don't really think about it. But I know whenever. Uh, Whatever stations, everything was usually in downtown because everybody could get together at the all the stations down there. But it, you really see it whenever the guys get on with the canines, and all of a sudden, West End is uh, everybody stop on the train. Well, then when the train starts, dogs come off. But, oh, this, no! What are you doing? And they're you know we're like, what are you doing? Well, because the dogs are there, and you know well, what's in your pocket. And they pull out and they got okay, okay. Why don't you just hang out right there then? And yeah, um, I know there's tons of times we would get stuff, and we got to work real close with the like the bike guys down there for Dallas and all the the I guess the foot patrols and stuff. So we would we'd call them up. Hey, um, can you come over here? We found this, you know, and it would we would try to work with the other guys to hopefully close out some stuff. But it's when you see all the the how much drugs are down there it's just it's unreal and it's yeah. you know we're like well it's not us and it's not them but with um if you can jump on a train and move it fast and that's kind of what they did like josh said that 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 escape route is that's one of the quickest and easiest escape routes to jump on because not many people buy tickets they don't have to they don't they just jump on and take off they they do and they'll ride they know and they know who you know will stop them and they know how far they can get, so when you start yelling tickets, they're like, uh, uh, I forgot it. Right. Or they start looking for it, and they're, you know, grabbing every pocket and stuff. I'm like, dude, if you don't have it, just tell me. I don't got time. Yeah. You know, they're like, uh, I meant to. Get off the train. Or they'll see you, and they'll set the next stop. You know, you got, everybody's trying to get off the train right then and go. I'm like, go. Go away. All right, Misty. Um, I want to bring you back to a certain night. In your shift and uh when you were with dark pd and this is probably what's kept me up more uh during the week not being able to sleep is uh how to discuss this this incident not gal gadot that was that's another story um so i want to take you back to july 7th 2016 and i just want you to kind of tell the listener uh how that night went from your perspective and uh and explain your involvement in that that night let's see well it's pretty much like the day was pretty much a normal day um and then uh they started getting later normally i would have gotten off at nine that night that was our shift one to nine and uh 
it was, I don't know, 7.30, maybe, <clears throat> excuse me, and, uh, it, you know, we're kind of winding down, and I'm like, I'm hungry, so I already called my partner, and she was right down the road, and we were going to go eat, and, uh, I remember I started to, to walk, as I could see the place, it was literally, like, two blocks down, and I remember Brent saying, take my car, and I'm like, I can walk. He's like, no, here are my keys, take my car, you're not walking. Because the protest is going on downtown. Um, and I guess he thought maybe I'd get lost or something. Uh, but I remember telling him, he's like, take my car. I'm like, well, you may need it because a call might happen. No, take my car. I go, I can walk. He's take my, we literally fought for like five minutes. And he, I'm like, okay, I'm not that much of a fat ass. I can walk two blocks down to go eat. And um, I'm like, you know, it's Chinese food, so I'd be hungry again. True. And uh, I remember he gave me his car, so I drove down. And, um, you know, to get, like, two blocks straight down, I had to drive, you know, like, six blocks around downtown to get down there. And uh, went down eight with my partner. And then when we finished, we, uh, you know, we walked outside, and we were standing there. And uh, she was smoking a cigarette, and we could see the protesters going. We could hear um, our people, uh, our sergeant, on the radio talking about stuff and kind of giving a heads up where everybody was. and then. Um, we, uh, I got a text saying that we needed to stay till, uh, like 10 o'clock that night when you stay an extra hour because of the protest. So I got in the car and I drove it back down to, uh, the West Transfer Center and, uh, cause Brent had texted me and said, Hey, I'm over here. Just bring the car here. So I drove it around. I parked it and I went inside and, uh, my mom had been, uh, texting me saying there's protesters downtown. So, um, you know, I'm like, really? Gee, thanks, Mom. Uh, so I called her back, and I'm like, you know what? My phone is at 4%. Uh, I'm going to charge it. I have to stay till 10 tonight, so I'll be there a little bit later. But everything's good. And I remember I walked in. We had like a little, um, a little police room within the transfer center. And uh, I walked in, and I plugged in my phone, and Brent was there on the phone uh, talking with his wife, Emily. And I threw him the keys, and I'm like, hey, I want to need a ride in because I have no car. And he's like, okay. And I was like, is that Emily? He said, yeah. I was like, I love you, jokingly. And I walked out one way, and then Brent walked out the other door. And uh, uh, my partner I was with that night, Chris, we walked, we saw, we, Brent got in his car and drove off, and we walked down to the corner. And we were just standing there next to the stop sign, um, talking to the patrons down there. And about all the stuff that's going on, and uh, we uh, uh, we were actually talking about the uh, the MLK protests and stuff, how they kind of differed from then to now. And uh, then we're just standing there talking. All of a sudden, we heard a bunch of pops, and Chris and I looked at each other and we're like, "Is that firecrackers?" And then we heard them again, and it's like, "Nope." So him and I start running towards. El Centro, and which was towards the gunfire, and then we're telling everybody else to to, to get out of there, to get back, and uh, we start running, and then um, we make it across the tracks, and I make it, I don't know, maybe a half a block, and then um, felt a, uh, a pop in my arm. Like when you're little kids and you kind of frog somebody, I felt like somebody had frogged my arm, and then they were just, had a lighter. I was holding it up against it. Missy, where are you at right now? Where not here personally, but <laughs> that night, where were you at when you start when you first started feeling that? Um, Do you remember I, the location? I was. It was Rosa Parks Plaza. It's like uh, Elm and Lamar, mm -hmm. where the little bus buses pick up and stuff. We were actually running across that because we had to run across the train tracks, and then we were about halfway in the plaza whenever I got hit. So when you got hit, you said there was like a, it felt like getting frogged, and there was a, a burning feeling, and then when did you realize that something's not right here? Whenever, because it, it was burning, and um, like that location, there's, it's, it's a major intersection, but there's like one street light, so it's super, super dark. And um, I remember I couldn't lift up my arm. It was just kind of hanging there, and but I could move my fingers, so I knew something was wrong. And I remember looking up, 
And um, I felt like, even though that one light was there, I felt like I was in the middle of a baseball field or a football field when it's all lit up. And I remember like shaking my head and I'm like, no, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not I'm not going. And I turned around and uh, threw myself on the ground. And when I looked up, there's a, uh, a bronze rose statue of uh, Rosa Parks. And I remember I started crawling to it because in my mind, I'm thinking I'm getting behind that statue because Rosa's going to save my ass. Because right. I don't care what's coming at me, nothing's getting through that statue. Right. And then when I started crawling, my partner, Chris, he came up and I just saw these massive calves in like, I don't know, size 18 shoes in front of me. Yeah. And uh, I was like, Chris, there's something wrong. And he helped me up. And then, you know, training kicked in. Got off the eggs. We ran around the corner, got away from the gunfire. And then he's seized my arm. So he's putting pressure on it, telling me it's going to hurt. I'm still yelling at people to get out of there, um, trying to get everybody away. And then um, you got a train stop there. So you got to be on the train staring at us. I'm still trying to tell everybody to get away. People are stopping. They're seeing it's me and there's something wrong with me. So they're trying to help. We're kicking everybody out. And, uh, and then another officer comes up, and I pull out my tourniquet out of my pocket and throw it at him, and I'm like, put it on. And they're staring at me, so I'm literally putting on my own tourniquet. And uh, Chris is trying to pull it up and tighten it, and I'm still yelling at people. Um, I usually wear my contacts, but that night I had my glasses on. I lost my glasses. I couldn't see. I couldn't hear. <clears throat> um, Great, my allergies are kicking in now. Damn it. <laughs> um, it truly is allergies. <laughs> no, to the listener, it is allergies. Yeah, she's, she's doing great. Um, and uh, I threw it at him. And then so he's putting it on. He's trying to tighten it up. And I'm yelling at people. And then we see a squad car come up. And then they're like, okay, let's go. That's us. So that's when we start moving over to the car to try to get me to the hospital. Okay. Was it a Dallas squad car or was it a dart? It was a dart. It was actually my partner I had just finished eating dinner with. Okay. And they they put you in the back of the car and then drove you to the... No, actually, one of the guys, he opened up the front door and just like a habit thing, because our gear's in the front, he picked up the go bag and put it in the back seat and then I sat in the front seat. Okay. And uh, it was weird because he's like, wait. And I know nobody can see me doing this. I just threw my hand up, so I feel stupid. No, you're fine. <laughs> but I'm like, hold. He's like, hold on. So he picks up the bag, throws it in the back seat, and then I get in the front seat, and they shut the door, and then we start going. And uh, my partner was telling me, uh, she's like, where do I go? I'm like, the hospital. Take me away. Yeah. And so she was driving, trying to cut through, and she's okay. I'm six foot, and mm-hmm. she's probably five eight. Right. So we're sitting in the car, I'm all the way back, and she's way up, you know, her seat's up forward. So every time we'd hit a light, you have to stop and clear the intersection. Well, every time she would stop, she pulled this mama thing to where you're going to save your child. Right. So every time she did that, because of our different size differences, she kept hitting my arm. Oh. So we pull up to a light, That's every light was red, and she hits my arm, I scream, she goes. She lets go. I quit screaming. We hit the next light. She hits my arm. I scream. And that goes on for three or four lights because evidently she can't figure out. Quit hitting my arm. Quit trying to save me. I'm not going anywhere. And uh, so we're doing that all the way through. And she's like, I'm trying. I'm trying to hurry. I'm trying to hurry. And I'm like, just quit grabbing my arm. Then we figure it out. You know, and the whole time she's like, where do I go? Like the hospital. Like, go straight. Go straight. She's caught in that yeah, she know, she's just she kept process doing the whole entire thing to mm-hmm. get you somewhere. At that point, how many times have you been shot? Um, at that point, I knew of one. You knew your arm was hurt. Yeah, right? I, yeah, I knew something was wrong with my arm because I couldn't move it. But okay. that's only one that we actually knew where I got hit. So which which hospital did you guys end up at? Uh, Baylor downtown. And then, at what point did you learn about your other injuries? Whenever we when we got in. Uh, they took me in and uh, started, obviously, they could see my arm. Like, when I walked in, I think I surprised everybody because I literally walked in the hospital. Um, and I was the first one there. That's what I was going to ask you. You were probably one of the very first people to start ar- arriving. 
Yeah, yeah, she, we got there, and we were the first one because when we got out, I, got, I was getting out of the car, and Stacy came around to open up the door, and then I got out, and I started walking, and when she shut the door, a, a Dallas squad pulled up right behind. And um, so she got trapped back there, and I walked in and found a nurse, and she's like, come with me. And it never fails. I find the shortest nurse at a hospital. Right. And so we go, and then I've got every nurse. And then I'll, and you can hear a bunch of commotion. And then once they started, um, started getting me settled, uh, you know, you can see, I could see people coming in, still didn't know what was going on. And uh, one of the guys uh, that had helped some of the Dallas, they were bringing the Dallas in because uh, I think Brent was there by now and uh, Aaron's had come in. I think he came in with Aaron's and he saw me and he's like, okay, Misty's okay because she's cussing. So I apparently I've been very vocal at everybody. And then they started uh, to work on me. So they started cutting off my, uh, uh, my outer shirt and uh, the nurse. And I've got my Stacy's over there trying to like, call my mom. I said, call my mom. I do not want her seeing this on TV because if she does, she's going to kick my ass. I'm scared of my mom. And, uh, so they they cut off my unit, cut off my shirt, took off my vest, cut off my undershirt, and then that's whenever the doctor saw another bullet laying on my abdomen. Yeah, she before we start recording, she showed us a a picture of 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 her abdomen at that time, and it's it went in between the it went through the vest and in and out of your the front of your abdomen. Is that correct? Yeah, he just uh, went through, like, the fatty part. Mm -hmm. The doctor said it was probably about a millimeter away from going into the muscle, and then that would have torn everything up in there. There's a narcotics detective. Uh, you probably don't even remember. Uh, Norma Masu. She walked into your uh, the ER room where you were, and she, all she said she could remember, there's people around you, and she remembers them taking off your, your dart shirt, and then she sees Wonder Woman on your uh, on your vest, <laughs> and she said, "At that moment, she realized this is a, this lady's a beast. She's going to be fine." And that's, I didn't even know that. that. That's pretty awesome. I didn't, yeah, yeah, because I had my little Wonder Woman, so um, I still got it on mine today. My, I've seen my pictures. Of, I'm going to be posting pictures of you in that. You know, Misty, it's a it it draws me back. I was in SWAT then. I was a team leader in that building. I remember arriving there. I remember uh, getting a Mike Smith and the uh, rookie off the street, uh, driving the APC to draw fire. At that point, the guy had reached the uh, height of the building up there. He'd been in the building. People kept saying he was in a parking garage. He smashed out the windows upstairs and was shooting down on the officers there, demolished that 7-Eleven. Uh, I remember dropping them off and then still driving to, to draw that fire, picked up a few more people that needed the, the shield in there. and. And then walking in that building, and it was a, it was a, it was chaotic, in that sense. I mean, we all shared the same radio channel. For us, uh, I don't even know if you guys have the capability with these radios to pick up our traffic. I'm sure you guys have some type of interpol capability. No, we just um, like that. <clears throat> that night, we would have um, like one of our guys would be would try to be with some Dallas. That mm -hmm. way, you could get our transmission because we had both. Our sergeants at uh, y'all's uh, command post. So we were just trying that way because that's the only way we found out what was going on with y'all. I'm sure this elicits something inside you. Obviously, you suffered injuries from it. Uh, it elicits a lot from me just hearing your story because I tried to, that's why I asked where you were. I try and piece it together for each person I've talked to about it, which isn't many. Trying to piece that together as to where that guy was moving to and from. Uh, I, you were shot four times, correct? Yes, sir. So I see your radio right here. The listeners obviously can't see it, but she brought in her patrol radio here. That's a seven six two round coming through this thing. Uh, I, how that did not keep going? Yeah, I mean, it, just the items in here are just insane. You're so fortunate that uh, that those are the injuries that you received. Uh, I'm glad. You're here, and I'm glad you're here to tell that story. It's uh, yeah, it's one of those things. It's just, it's gut wrenching just thinking about it. Of course, 
I, I look at it from a different perspective. Uh, my role in that was different. Uh, but I just can't imagine, you know, when, when it first started down there, you know, we were wanting to be on standby for that and we're denied. Uh, so as a supervisor, I have a lot of angst about that entire operation that, uh, where it's at. Of course, there's a lot of guys over there that feel like we could have been there to, to help do some other things. But I think, uh, hearing that, that you, 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 you knew what to do, right? Uh, that guy was all over the place. I still remember when I left the building, stepping over all the mags that guy had dropped and the ammo all over the freaking place. Of course, people's blood and body matter and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, it's, uh, I'm, I'm very happy to hear that your training kicked in, especially the tourniquet piece you happened mm-hmm. to do yourself. I think that night was such a, if you hadn't trained for such a situation, we had, we had fortune, we had Jude Braun over there would always hit us up with these active shooter scenarios and these bombs and all this crazy stuff. And, uh, just very fortunate that we had the training that we had. Um, and I don't know to what extent you had training or some of the other individuals out there, but knowing that you need to provide yourself self-aid and you're capable of doing that, capable of getting off the X, capable of having the faculty to actually seek cover, uh, at the same time being concerned with the general public, uh, taking that selfless act to try and help yourself and help your fellow officer, but help the community that's there that has, they have no utilities to defend themselves against an individual such as that. Um, I really don't know where I'm, <laughs> where I'm going with this, but I guess I'd kind of like to hear what type of training had you guys received? Is that something that you just had instinctively inside you? Or is that something, I know you're a mother, were, were you a single mom at the time? Yes, sir. Yeah, so your daughter was 10 at the time that, mm-hmm. so I know as a, not I'm not a mother, but as a parent, you have an instinct to protect your, your own children, right? Uh, that gives you a little bit more desire to survive and move, right? Uh, but is there any type of training that you guys had received? Is there something that you had? Is there something from your past that, that allowed you to think that you talk about these other officers who were in then oodle loop, you know, they were, they were stuck in this thing, trying to process orient, decide and act to go through this whole entire process. And they're getting stuck halfway through it. And, uh, and then coming right back to the beginning, they come right back, you know, come back to the beginning, no fault to the officer trying to get you to the hospital, but where do you want me to go to the hospital? Where do you want me to go to the hospital? And there's a lot for people to digest out there. The screaming, the gunfire, the radio chatter. I mean, it, it, it was nuts out there. Uh, I can't imagine being shot and trying to manage that at the same time. But back to where I was, uh, yeah, is there any type of training or what provided you with that ability to think like that in that situation? Our training, of course, it's not near as extensive as probably any other department. Um, we would, because we did deal with the buses and trains, we were, we were trained in some active shooter training, but it was, um, ours is all, you know, on a bus. So if somebody had a gun on a bus, then that's what we're trying to, you know, find the gun quickly and take care of it. Or if there's an active shooter on a train car. Um, but we, you know, we did our, when we would qualify, we would do some training, but, I mean, it's, it's, when you're in the academy, you know, you're, you're taught this will happen. You get hurt. You, you know, if you're going to shoot, so if you're going to get shot at, they're just going to keep shooting there. So you need to move to, you know, obviously not get hit. But, you know, that, that training and then the, uh, just remembering, I guess maybe it's that mom instinct, you know, kicking in. There's just, you know, a human instinct. Uh, I'm getting shot at. I need to move. I got to, you know, I got to get out of here. And I had other people around me, so I'm trying to get all them, too. Uh, but, like, um, you know, like SWAT training or anything, we didn't have that. We've done some building searches and stuff, but not near to, in my mind, not near what we would need for something of that caliber. Now, you're you're no longer with DART, correct? Correct. Were you with DART after that, after you came back from your injuries? I was um, out for about a year with therapy, and then I came 
back for about a year and then I had to have another surgery actually a back surgery because of that and then um, I was being told I was going back downtown and I wasn't ready to go back downtown so I'm like okay so I, I left uh, I'm actually and then um, I had already talked with the school district so I talked with them and then I'm actually still reserving um, up at a Tom Bean Police Department, just by Sherman. So I'm still active. So one, just not one, there. one last question on that piece would be, I guess where I'm going with that is, did, and maybe you know and maybe you don't know, has the implementation of any other type of training to prepare, better prepare your people downtown, especially DART officers who, realizing that you guys have a, you know, a, a, your you, your reaches are way out into the suburbs and so on and so forth, right? But the the real congestion pieces downtown right yes sir and, and yeah. uh have you guys had do you know if there's any training that has been put together implemented have you guys been given an opportunity or afforded an opportunity to go elsewhere to get that training to better prepare yourself for a situation such as an active shooter i know they've done because it was when i was um doing my rehab they would um they did active shooter training where it was actually out you know on like a dart field or something where there was stuff where you had to go in your teams, um, dealing with vehicles, dealing with different obstacles. And uh, at the, uh, actually when we went and qualified, they started uh, doing it to where, you know, you're just walking down the street and all of a sudden like, okay, there's gunfire. Then you have to break off. And so now you're responsible for you. And then you have your partner and you're having to work with, you know, and it splits up every time. So you have to learn how everybody works. So they actually did, I actually, did that with a qualify, and then they did the um, the other active shooter training at different locations. That way, because obviously it's not just on a bus or a train. Mm -hmm. It's happened in the middle of the street. So they did, I don't know what they do now, but I know that they were starting it. I know they have a rifle, they have a rifle program now. They're allowing officers to carry rifles. Good. Good. Misty, were you the most senior there that night? No. Um, on the side I was on, I was, I had, uh, two rookie officers with me. And I understand in May you went through some kind of self-aid buddy aid training? Yes. Yeah. Um, one of the officers taught the self-aid buddy aid and, um, uh, which is, you know, what we all had to go through and, um, learned that. And then actually after that, I went out and bought my tourniquet. So, so you guys weren't issued tourniquets at that time? Correct. Okay, so tell me about now. Do, do DART officers carry tourniquets? They do now because when I was laying in my hospital bed, the lady who handles tourniquets at Baylor, little B lady, jumped on my bed and got in my face. So you the one that had a tourniquet. So of course I'm going to say yes because she's scaring me. And <laughs> Is that the same one that cut off your $50 bra? <laughs> no, that's a different doctor oh, that okay. cut off my $50 bra. Okay. Um, <laughs> this was the, I call her the tourniquet lady. Never wear okay. those to work. Yeah, I know you can't. I'm like, I'm like. I mean, we fought about that for like five minutes. I was very upset with him. I'm wearing one now. Ooh, I'm gonna cut it off. <laughs> Damn that. Fingers are crossed. <laughs> <laughs> um, but now because I had my tourniquet on and I used it, um, the ba Baylor uh, Scott and White they actually donated tourniquets to the Dart officers since we didn't have any. So every Dart officer. Uh, was issued a tourniquet, and nurses and doctors, actually my doctor, uh, who was the, uh, is actually the number one gunshot wound doctor in Texas, he would go there and teach them how to use a tourniquet, so they were properly trained, and I think until now they still get, you know, I'm assuming now when the officers come in, they still get tourniquets. Uh, you mentioned that you had the gunshot wound doctor, correct? Mm -hmm. Tell me about the other doctor that pretty much reconstructed your arm. Oh, um, he uh, he's the number one, I think, arm, hand, arm doctor in Texas also, and he had to uh, put the bone together. Um, I have a metal plate and 11 screws in my arm. I had to, I've got 20 stitches. So yeah, he basically had to try to connect what muscle, bone, tissue, everything. Um, to kind of make me look like I have an arm again. 
And then a year later, you fought, you did a boxing match, right? In the Guns and Hoses event. Yeah. One year after this event. Is that, is that, do I understand that correctly? That's correct. Um, I think it was three days after I got released back to full duty. I went to uh, David Swavey over Guns and Hoses, and I gave him a paper. I said, I want to fight. He's like, you're not released. I said, here you go. So he, uh, they got me set up, and um, like with Guns and Hoses, you know, it's it's fire versus police. Sure. Well, there's not a whole lot of, I guess, six-foot, you know, 240-pound female firefighters out there, so... I ended up, um, we did like a kind of a charity match, and I ended up fighting a uh, Garland uh, SRO. Okay. So we, uh, yeah, we had our, our three rounds of hell. Was that healing for you? It was. It was. Um, it was a, uh, and actually the night I fought, they were remembering all of the fallen. So they had a huge, um, you know, it was a huge event. Um, I had uh, one of my old sergeants at DART. She uh, put the names of uh, the fallen, of the five, on the back of my uh, jersey, my boxing jersey. So it, it was a very emotional and very healing night. It, it really helped me a lot. Real quick, I want to introduce child abuse detective Kristen Green. She's been sitting in with us. Um, and she's got a question for you. Missy, you kind of talked about your uh, physical recovery from everything. And then, of course, you always are going to have your mental health recovery. And in this situation, you're pretty much talking worst-case scenario. I mean, every factor that goes into having any kind of post-traumatic stress after this is kind of what you went through. You're going through loss. You're going through an injury. You're out of work. Um, so what did you do? during this to help you recover and do you feel like what kind of worked for you what didn't work for you and what do you feel like you would have done differently um well right after i went to um see the they set me up for to go see the psychiatrist psychiatrist psychologist, psychologist. and um so i did my little six session and then she said okay you're good to go no restrictions, go back to the street. And I'm like, okay, well, not really. But um, I guess I didn't answer the questions correctly or incorrectly enough or something. But then actually my uh, my daughter reached out to me. I We talked some. I said, do you want to talk to somebody? And she said, yeah. So I found a, uh, a lady that was close to the house and um, – I had she started talking with her and then I continued mine because I'm like I'm I don't need to go back because I'm still I'm coming into work on light duty but it's still hitting me and then with people coming up asking questions and stuff I knew I wasn't ready to go back so I started talking with her and um but like other than talking with them I pretty much isolated myself uh you know there were friends family would come up and they would of course everybody had to drive me around so we'd go places, but I would kind of, it was kind of like a quick little, hey, how you doing? And then I wanted to go away. Um, so I, so I, you know, I was talking with her. She still, we still stay in contact. About every six months, I'll get an email. Hey, how y'all doing? My, my daughter, she'll email her. Okay, we're good, you know, or, you know, I'm like, I'm doing good. I've been doing this. She asked me, you know, if I've seen anybody. Um, but I, I didn't see um i guess i wish i would have kind of um not asked for help but asked for help you know you you know you're a big big badass cop you know everybody's looking at you like oh my gosh you survived you did this you did this so it's like okay i can't ask for help because then i'm gonna look you know horrible but i kind of wish i would have reached out maybe a little more maybe a different avenue not so professional maybe um or talk to a professional, but kind of like on a, kind of like this, just kind of sitting and chatting kind of thing. Uh, but uh, it, you know, I didn't really, now I'm seeing, I'm kind of seeking more help, more, you know, meeting more people, doing more things. I'm kind of getting that avenue opened up to where we're here if you need something. But I kind of wish um, maybe that was available more back then when it happened.
I noticed, because I've been working in mental health for a while, and I noticed that up until that incident, cops really didn't talk about mental health. It was never a conversation that they wanted to have. It was really uncomfortable. And it wasn't until after that that cops, it really became sort of a more normalized conversation. It's still not super comfortable for a lot of cops to have. Um, but Dallas kind of looked at it and thought, okay, this is going to be an issue. We need to see what we can do for officers. They actually did try to like get officers help. Did DART have anything for you guys? Or do you feel like they would have been receptive if you had said you needed help? They didn't really push. They had the, um, you know, like the general right after the incident. They had the people come out and try to talk. But, of course, then nobody wanted to talk. And because um, everybody wants to talk to you, you're like, I don't want to talk. I'm done. I'm tired. I don't want to do this. But they didn't really kind of push it. Um, they uh, they had the uh, psychologist that, I guess, was the one that they sent everybody to for stuff. And um, I remember I went out. They sent me out there because I wasn't ready to go. I wasn't ready to go back downtown. And everybody understood that. But when they sent me out there, she, you know, she's like, well, you're not fit for duty. So Dart said, you're not fit for duty. So I'm like, okay. So they sent me. Um, so then, you know, I'm like, well, I'm not going to talk to anybody because I don't want to, you know, I'm already not fit for duty, so I don't want to talk to anybody now. So that's kind of shut down. But they didn't really push anything. Like I know Dallas did for their people. And, you know. ATO reached out and helped, but it's still it's in my mind. You know, I'm like, hey, this uh, I don't want to reach out. You know, Dart's not helping. I don't really re want to reach out to another department because it's still that kind of you know macho kind of thing. Yeah, I don't think up to that point. Just like she said, that uh, we really don't know how to deal with it. Right. I'm glad to hear the ATO did. That was going to be my question. Where mm -hmm. some other assistance would have come from? Um, obviously, since uh, July 7th, the uh, amount of money that's spent on uh, emotional support, counseling for officers, their families, firefighters, um, has been astronomical, right? I, I don't remember the exact numbers for the following year or in that year in general as we posed into 20, 2017, but <clears throat> it was pretty high. Um, I guess my question is, I know you talk about hunting a lot. Mm -hmm. So uh, what you use as an outlet now, is that kind of one of your outlets now to get outdoors and be with your daughter and go to these other ranches and so on and so forth. Is that helping? That does. And actually, um, the uh, the group that I do, because it was, you know, a lady, her husband did it for veterans and officers, and she wanted to do it for females. So that kind of helps as an athlete uh, and an outlet because you're with other female officers and other female um, military that have been through similar situations you know every single one of us hasn't been in the same one but they um that helps us and then uh last january i was actually fortunate to be able to take my daughter with me and uh they you know i was like if i can't then you know i can't come because i have to do this so she enjoyed it so that's like our new thing now and she's all excited and um she's the little country hunting girl at school and <laughs> So, yeah, she's like, I need camo. So she goes in the closet and gets our little camo and stuff. So she, she yeah, she's already ready. And that I think that kind of helps her, too, because she's with other adults that can she can talk to that are female mm -hmm. that can say, oh, yeah, you know, you, your mom did this. And, you know, they, she knows what they all did. So I think it's kind of a good outlet for both of us. Have you been able to talk to your partner from that night about it? Or even you talked about Chris. And I know that, you know, as officers, we really feel responsible and close to our partners. That's a really um, important relationship. But I know mm -hmm. that if you weren't the one that injured, sometimes it's hard for officers to talk about whether they may have struggled that night as well because they feel like they're not um, coming at, they feel like they don't have as much right to say anything. So did they kind of struggle? Are you guys able to talk about it? Um, I know the one, Chris, I haven't, I haven't seen since I've left DART. Um, you know, we see everybody on Facebook, so we'll chit chat or if we're at an event or something, then everybody kind of sees each other. You know, if we go to like a DART thing, everybody will go and we'll see them. Um, but, uh, Stacy's actually the one who drove me and, um, 
Laquana was there too. They were both there in the hospital with me. But, you know, kind of reached out a few times. But whenever you leave a department, you kind of, you know, if you kind of, I don't want to say hide, but you're not as open. You don't see people. So you kind of, you know, break apart and stuff. So I really haven't talked to <clears throat> either one, of, you know, Laquan, I've talked to a couple of times, but like Stacey, I really haven't talked to in a while. Because I know it, it hit her really hard because she was, you know, should have been down there with me that night. And there's other officers that sh normally would have been with me. But you try to stay in contact with everybody and, you know, you'll get a text message every once in a while. I'm thinking about you. So that's, you know, pretty much the contact that we all kind of have now. Well, I think us as officers, we needed to do a better job. I need to do a better job with my friends and family of reaching out more. And uh, I think we can all do a better job at that. And I want to be better at that. Mm -hmm. I want to ask one final question of you. If knowing what you know, where you started and, and, and where you are now, what would you tell a young officer starting right now what to prepare for and what to expect? It is. I mean, because you, 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 I mean, you don't prepare for, you know, a gunfight involving, I don't know how many departments were there. Um, it's unprecedented. I mean, I mean, you, yeah, you, there's, I don't think SWAT, I mean, I've, you know, I've done SWAT training, but I've never been on SWAT, but I know you train for stuff, but I don't think you ever train for that, mag, you know, that magnitude. You never know what's going to happen. Um, just, you know, if, if, if you want to be an officer, then, you know, it's, it can, you know, it can hit the fan in a second. I mean, I was eating and 30 minutes later, I was on my way to the hospital. So you just kind of have to, you know, prepare for the unexpected. And then, um, you know, if you just take every train, if you, some, if a senior officer tells you something, don't just blow them off as, you know, oh, well, that's an old head. You know, he doesn't know we do it this way now. No, because the way they do it, you know, it may save your ass one day. Just any training you can get, take it. And if you find training, do it. If somebody's doing something, if somebody's going to the range, go to the range and practice. Um, you know, get as much training as you can in various things because you never know what's going to happen. You never know what situation you're going to be in. If you leave departments, you know, you may be able to bring something to another department that they didn't know, or maybe a different way or something, or you may be that old head, you know, training a rookie someday. Misty, I think it's a perfect way to wrap it up. Um, you're an inspiration, you're a warrior, and you're an exemplary example of a woman defender that should not be underestimated. Thank you for everything, thank you for your service, and thanks for coming and talking to us. I know this isn't easy, but I hope that we were kind and gentle. Yes, y'all were very gentle to me. <laughs> Thank you, Misty, for coming on. Thank, Thank you. So you. Thank y'all for having me. Tune in next week, folks, to ATO Bridge and the Divide. For more information about the Assistant Officer Foundation, go to atodallas.org. Thank you, and y'all be safe. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Mrs. A. Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far the sun and the moon, I'll never give up on you. Down when you're lonely, I'll pull you up. Leaves you heavy when the going gets tough. I'll be your shoulder, together we'll run up from the bottom. Yeah, we'll rise above. Hey, brother, hey, sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Amen. I'll see this all the way through No matter how far the sun and the moon 
sister, I'll never give up on you. Hey, Mrs. Hey, Mister, I'll see this all the way through. No matter how far for the gold and the blue, I'll never give up on you.